Today's episode is brought to you by Create Engage, the digital marketing agency for the disruptive management consultancy. Digital marketing has moved forwards, but most consulting firms haven't. Many consulting firms still see their corporate blog as their sole digital marketing channel and find themselves frustrated when these blogs yield little, if any, results. For those consultancies that understand digital marketing, though, it can be a huge asset and help them achieve rapid business growth. In fact, at Create Engage, we've recently written a case study of one successful consulting firm that used digital marketing to help them grow over 400% in just three years. Having spent countless hours researching consulting firms and consulting leaders for this podcast, it became very clear that while some firms do digital marketing well, the vast majority of consulting firms struggle to leverage its power and don't know where to start. To help those of you who want to harness the power of digital marketing to grow your consulting business, but don't have the knowledge, capacity, or in-house capability to do so, I launched Create Engage, the first digital marketing agency for the management consulting industry. As former consultants ourselves, we understand the challenges that you face when it comes to delivering effective digital marketing that engages prospective clients and generates leads. Having worked in the industry, we understand consulting buyers, what resonates with them and what doesn't. This enables us to harness the latest in digital marketing in a way that aligns with your brand and your market positioning to attract the prospective clients that you're looking to target. We understand that each consultancy is unique and have a range of services to help you shape, implement and sustain effective digital marketing strategies that deliver results, regardless of where you are on your digital marketing journey. If you would like to find out more about how Create Engage can help you use digital marketing to take your business to the next level, then send me an email at nick at createengage.co.uk or go to our website, createengage.co.uk, where you can download that free case study that breaks down the digital marketing strategies used by one successful consulting firm to help them grow over 400% in just three years and gives you the secrets they used so that you can apply them in your own firm. If you want to outpace your competitors and stand out in the crowded consulting market, then get in touch. We'd love to help you grow your business through digital marketing. Hi, and welcome to Climbing Consulting. In today's episode, I bring you the first of a two-part round two interview with former guest Ollie Pinnell of Q5 Partners. Originally recorded as one conversation, when I was listening back to this, it was clear that there was just so much great content that it deserved to stand on its own two feet in two parts. In today's part one, you will hear from Ollie Pinnell, managing partner and co-founder of Q5. In part two, which I will be releasing in two weeks' time, you will be hearing from Rowena Reed and Annabel Tong, all about Q5's fantastic pop-up consulting initiatives. One of the very few positive things to come out of the last 18 months, and something that I am sure you will want to learn from and emulate for your consultancy. But back to today's episode. Ollie originally joined me all the way back on episode 12 with his co-founder, Sharon Rice Oxley. We discussed a whole host of things from the origins of Q5 to their tough first year in business and how they overcame it, as well as diving into the unique approach that Q5 took to developing their culture and how they have been able to maintain that as they grow. In today's conversation, 
we look back over the last three years and look forward for what Q5 has in store for the coming years. We explore how all of these elements have developed and the new and innovative things that Q5 are doing as they expand. Just to give you a bit of a hint, we look at Q5's growth over those last three years and particularly why they've chosen to follow a regional expansion strategy and Ollie's tips for making that a success. We look at recruitment and retention in consulting, why people seem to be leaving the industry earlier and what this means for consulting leaders like you. And we get a small introduction to the next episode as Ollie explains the story behind Pop-Up Consulting, why they launched it, why he's so passionate about it, and why Q5 will be continuing to do it after COVID. It was a pleasure speaking to Ollie again for the podcast. And I know you are really going to enjoy learning from his insights and his experiences, having successfully grown Q5 and navigated the firm through this pandemic. Whether you're considering expanding your own consultancy and you want to learn from someone who's been there before, or you are seeing turnover increase in your firm and want to know what you can do to stop it, this conversation with Ollie will give you the answers you need. So with the intro done and dusted, everything said, all that is left is for me to say, please enjoy today's conversation with Ollie Purnell. Ollie, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Nick. Good to be here again. A lot has changed in three years, but it's flown by very fast. I know we've kept in touch throughout, but yeah, it's crazy to think, I guess, the global pandemic's probably done a bit of that, hasn't it? Yes, I think so. I think um, when we first spoke three years ago, we were 18 months or so into what the UK might be post-Brexit. So a lot of the conversation was around what the post-Brexit world might be. And in those three years, I don't think anyone could have predicted this you know, global pandemic that has had societal, fiscal and social implications, obviously, on businesses everywhere. But um, I think it's probably made all of us better business people. You know, it's something that happens very, very, it's a seldom, uh, it's an event that happens what, what once every hundred years or so. So it's it's meant, I think, those those businesses that have thought creatively and artfully about how to change have, have done magnificent things. I think it's a really good point and, and actually tees us up. Obviously, today, I, I get the pleasure of not just your company, but two of your colleagues, Annabelle and Rowena, who I'll be talking about one of the ways that you you were able to take your business in a, a creative direction and give back to clients and help both your team and clients through your pop-up consulting, which we'll, we'll come on to. And I, I'm keen to get your take further on. But maybe to, to start us off, Ollie, just there, you know, we, when we last called up, it was Brexit. Um, and we talked a lot about where your business was and sort of your plans for the future. Three years later, we're now in, in a bit of that future. You know, what's been going on for Q5? For those who don't know, where are you as a business? What are some of those key headlines and, and changes over the last few years? So, well, we're, we're still very much an organization and change firm. So we're all about organizational health, which is what we set up to do back in 2009. So we haven't deviated. That's very much at the epicenter of what we do. And we like to believe that the influence of our brand, you know, where we have trust and authority is in organizational health and making sure that organizations are set up to be effective, efficient and to do amazing work for their people. We still do that. What's changed a little bit over the course of the last two to three years is that in order to grow our business and to give people that sense of adventure and to uh, not only become better consultants, but to become better business people too. 
is we've opened um, a few other offices since we last caught up, Nick. And we opened our Leeds office at the end of 2018. And we opened a, an office in Cardiff in January this year. So it's it's been fun to do that. And I think in a world in which travel is very hard, you know, none of us have been able to go on international journeys over the course of the last 14 months or so. Having these new things to grow and build and attract people to uh, has been fun in, in Cardiff and Leeds. I think that's a really good place to start, Ollie, because it's something I was keen to pick up with you on this interview. And I think particularly for other consultants listening, because when we last spoke, obviously you you had sort of global offices and something I see a lot of consulting firms do is is grow their global footprint, if you like. I see a lot less go for a regional approach and actually move into places like Leeds, Cardiff. Am I right? You've opened a regional office in Australia as well. So you've got two two over there as well. Yes, that's right. Yeah, we have an office in Melbourne, which we opened at the beginning of last year. So we have an office in Sydney and an office in Melbourne. And uh, I think one of the reasons why we're very keen to do it is to give people who've been in our firm for four or five years that sense of starting something from scratch, that opportunity to build a business in a slightly de-risk way, you know, in the sense that we're able to fund it from the Q5 centre. But it gives people that opportunity to understand, you know, how do you take a new brand to market? How do you build a team? How do you attract people into your business and retain them? And it also, I think, gives them the opportunity when they meet clients to, to almost see them as their peers. They, too, are running a little business. And some of the challenges that business leaders have, they'll be experiencing themselves, too. So, I mean, our plan uh, for the next three to four years is to double the number of offices that we've currently got. We see it as a massively important part of our business strategy. We call it extending our reach. And that is, you know, it's been good to to do Leeds and Cardiff and Melbourne over the course of the last two years. And unfortunately, the air quotes won't quite carry to a, uh, a podcast show. But um, yeah, I, I like the campaign name. And I I'm intrigued. You mentioned that, you know, part of it's about giving people that ownership, which completely understand. And, you know, as as a small business owner myself, I, I, I get where you're coming from. I guess, why did you choose opening physical offices as the vehicle for that? And, and what I mean by that is, I know a lot of consulting firms who will have a headquarters in London, let's say, and they will expand practice areas. So you'll bring someone in to run your, you know, your government, your farmer, et cetera, et cetera. You've obviously chosen to go and open these other offices, which I'm sure comes with certain challenges, risks, as well as the benefits. Why did you choose that physical approach to growth, let's say, over you know, more of a virtual, you know, to use air quotes myself, virtual approach of sort of growing a practice within your head office? I think there are many reasons, actually. We do have industry sectors within our business. So we have a, a head of media and tech and infrastructure and financial services, etc. But for us, opening up in Leeds, opening up in Cardiff, you know, in the new world, and we've seen this very much over the last 14 months or so, you've got hybrid working, you've got people who will be working a lot more from home in the future, there'll be a lot more choice in the future. But you also need a destination to go to. So people of all age groups, I think we are socially gregarious people. And um, people enjoy bouncing ideas around coming up with solutions together and having a physical presence and a physical office, it almost sort of 
it means that we're physically present in, in, in a region and that we can have social gatherings, we can do client dinners, we can do all sorts of things where we're building our brand identity within a particular region. So for us, it, it was just a no-brainer to do it. And the, the offices are great as well. It gives the people who are based in that office the opportunity to create a vibe to create a space that they feel is fun and vibrant and, um, you know, all the things that our, our company stands for. So having a, a physical office space is important to us. We're, I have to say, there's a lot of stuff I've read in recent weeks about, you know, the office being dead. You know, the, the future of the office is, 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 is coming to the end of its, its, its lifespan. And I really don't agree with that at all. I, uh, that doesn't mean I, I believe in presenteeism in the office and we have to be in the office five days a week. But I think the, you know, the 2020s, people will want to mix it up. People want to be able to work from home, work at a client site, work in a physical office. And coming to an office has got to be a great place to work. It's got to, it's got to be comfortable. It's got to have great facilities. It's got to be easy to get to. And it's got to be, you know, luxurious in its, in its feel. So I'm completely with you on on the return of the office. And it is interesting. A lot of the, I was reading something uh, on Sunday in the paper that a lot of the big companies, particularly the tech companies who I think were the first to go fully remote and make a lot of it, interestingly seem to be some of the first coming back. And I think we will move back to that world much quicker. But I completely agree with you that actually no, not many people are born to work from home five days a week. Even if you've got a lovely house, eventually it, you would get sick of it. And that's just those who, who do have the fortunate enough to have that sort of house with a study. I know a lot of people, particularly if you're the first sort of few grades in consulting and you're flat sharing, you don't want to spend five days a week working on your kitchen table or in some cases ironing board because your friend's already on the kitchen table, do you? No, I totally agree with that. Funnily enough, some of the conversations I've had in recent weeks with people that are sort of scoffing at us. We've, we've, as you know, Nick, we've moved into a new building recently. So we've got a new HQ in London, which used to be the Conservative Central Office. So it's a, a grand building in Smith Square. And I've, I've had a few sort of chortles from, from quite senior experienced business leaders that I know that are saying, my goodness me, you've invested all this money in a newly refurbed building in the middle of Westminster. Uh, everyone else we know is sort of losing space. But I, I, I've said in both those instances that, you know, one of them, was a chap in his mid-60s with grandchildren that rocks up every Thursday to, to, for him to look after, and the other one's in his 70s. And I think it suits them at their time of life to be working remotely, and they probably don't want to come into London every day. But people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, people enjoy coming in. Maybe not every day, but people want a space to visit each other and to spend time with one another. And I, I think uh, hybrid working is going to demand more space I think companies are going to need more space because you need touchdown areas and areas where you, you know, sort of little pods where you can do calls and places where you can sit and do, you know, for example, the conversation you and I are having right now can't be done in an open plan office. I'm sitting in a little pod in our new office and you need a lot of these little pods. It requires more space, not less. So it's going to be really, really interesting. I think people who've invested in space and office over the last few months when the market's been on its knees will be the ones that will discover, you know, that was a sensible investment in the years ahead. Well, as someone who's just about to take a lease on a new office, Ollie, I, I completely agree with you. It's um, turkeys and Christmas springs to mind here. But I guess to bring it back to help our, our listeners and, and really for anyone sort of who's interested in what you're saying around why you've you've gone regional. You mentioned around it gives people the opportunity to, I think you said, sort of give the office their own vibe and in effect give it sort of a, a local culture. How do you do that in a way that doesn't become counterproductive? 
you know, again, if I think of, if you were bringing in practices in London, they're going to see you, they're going to see the senior team, they, they're going to be ingrained in the Q5 culture and just through osmosis. Naturally, if someone is two hours, three hours up the M1 or, or down the M4, it's going to create its own culture. How do you make sure that that is additive to Q5 and doesn't become a kind of us and them, you know, the as someone who studied in York and then moved to London, you know, it's the sort of Northerners and the Southerners or the, the English and the Welsh. How do you keep that culture as one team and not different, you know, almost factions? It's, good. it's a really good question. And I think in the um, instances of the offices that we've opened in the last two years, the, the Cardiff, Leeds and the Melbourne offices, in each of those instances, we have headed up those offices with people who've been in the firm for a number of years. So they know about what we stand for and how we work and the things that matter to us. We have then hired people to work alongside them in the area, from the area. So I think you've got a, a mix of both. I mean, in the instance of our Leeds office, the guy that heads it up is a born and bred Yorkshireman who moved down to London after he graduated from Oxford and had been working in London for about 10 years or so. So for, for his stage in his life, returning up to Yorkshire, heading up our Leeds team was great for him and his wife and his small family. But it also gave him the opportunity to extend our brand, to hire some people local to that. And I think the other thing that we do is we, we as a firm have always, I mean, we have weekly webinars. We have a virtual webinar every Thursday, which everyone in the business in Australia and the UK attends on a, on a Thursday morning, if you're here, or evening if you're in Australia. Plus, every six months, we do these physical away days and the UK team, the Cardiff, Leeds and London team get together and we, we hire uh, hotels up and down the country in order to do that. We've actually done two of these conferences over the course of the last 12 months, all, all socially distanced, all done legally, all done above board, but an incredibly important part of the way that we work. And so I, I think the vibe of the brand and the, the way those teams operate neatly aligns to what we do here in the the HQ, which is in London. But I also think there does need to be a little bit of a, a vernacular, a rhythm that is unique to the region as well. So, you know, in Cardiff, we're working really hard to attract local graduates and, and, and Welsh people into the business as opposed to just moving people out of um, London and Leeds and other places. So we've, we're, we're using, you know, we're, we're using what we can to, to create a, a Welsh identity there too. And we're, we're physically based actually in a, in a, just outside of Cardiff, actually, on the outskirts of Cardiff in a place called Woodlands House, along with the Cardiff and Vale Trust, which is a big client of ours. So it's, it's a, again, a slightly different feel to what we've got in London and a different feel to what we've got in Leeds, but a super team doing amazing work who've got a little bit of autonomy to create their own sort of their sense of, you know, what does Q5 Cardiff stand for? In terms of the, I guess, the genesis of these offices, what came first? Was it the desire to open a, a regional office and then the selection of the region and then the person to lead it? Did it go the other way around? I'm just interested in in how that happened because you mentioned sort of their, their Q5ers already. So are these sort of people who are being sent, they've suggested they want to build an office and you're giving them the sort of reins to do it? Is there a sort of a master plan and you're putting people in those slots? How did you decide you know, both the locations and the people to lead them. It's magic, Nick. Is it magic? No, it's, uh, <laughs> it's all magic. No, the, um, it's not complete serendipity, nor is it complete, you know, exact science. It's a combination of, I suppose, art and science, really. 
you've got good people. We've got lots and lots of good people in the firm. And uh, people have always known, you know, I've, I've mentioned this earlier on in this conversation, these three things, influence, reach and contribution. The three most important things in any business, building your influence and uh, extending your reach and making sure you're a good commercial, you know, profit making business. And we do have a plan in place looking at the amount of offices we want to open. And we do have a plan in place showing how we're going to sort of evolve our product offer and our service offer and what parts of the world we're interested in doing it. But it's also down to the individual motivational needs of people within our business. So, for example, New York. We've been in New York for eight years now. And one of the reasons we're always keen to have a presence in New York, we had done a lot of work in the the early years of Q5. And I actually spent a year of my life in New York back in the 1990s doing a project out there. And it's always been a city where I thought we could do great work with some interesting clients. But one of the reasons why we opened it when we did in 2013 was down to the fact that one of my colleagues, his girlfriend moved over to New York and he became lovelorn and lost without her. And uh, so he decided to pack his bags and go over to New York. So we said, right, let's do it now then. You know, we'll back you for a year. We'll have a couple of other people involved in it. Let's go for it now. It just made sense for someone who had that sense of adventure and had a reason to be there. We were able to make it align around our firm's plans. Similarly, if you look at Australia, the leading guy over there, our partner in charge of that, really wanted that sense of being able to set up a business from scratch. He'd been in a London office for a few years. I think he was possibly a bit envious of what we were doing in New York and the chap that had gone to New York to launch that business. And uh, he knew of our plans to open up new offices. And he said, I'd like to open up an office in Sydney. And we thought, OK, let's let's give it a go. I didn't think that he would have anything like the success that he has had. And, and in fact, what that, I'm not going to mention his name here because we will just dine out on it if I do. But he's done a very, very good job. And we've got a fantastic business in Australia that really has come up through, you know, an amazing team with a very driven person who's been out there for six years and has been able to build a, a, an Australian Q5 business and it's been terrific. Amazing and I, I won't ask you to name him I'm sure it comes up in the uh, the rough justice sessions I don't know if you still have those yeah as a we partnership do now. we absolutely do so I'll, yep. I don't know if that's before or after this podcast but I'm sure we'll help for that and I I guess two other angles to those offices, and particularly here, I, I guess I'm thinking the regional offices, and this isn't just because I'm, you know, we're UK based, but I'm sure the same applies in in all countries. Is actually, I'll let you take these in the order that it it works. But from a recruitment and a client perspective, I'd be really interested because you know, one of the things that strikes me when you mentioned around Cardiff and looking to hire locally is with COVID and what we've you know seen and the changes. Actually, are people all going to want to come to London? Likewise, you know, we were touching on sort of, you know, living arrangements, but actually salaries, you know, London is an expensive place to live. And if you're on a junior salary, it's it's only harder. Do you, how have you seen these benefits from both recruitment and then the other side of that coin is client side? So what are you seeing on the recruitment side? And actually then from a client perspective, do they care? Is it net positive? Is it net neutral? What are you seeing? I think it's been really interesting over the course of the last year or so, last 14 months, with COVID. I, I don't know about you, but we certainly, I'm forgetting about the business for a moment, just as individuals. My wife and I have made a point of walking that little bit extra to independent shops to buy our food, you know, to, to buy our fish from the fishmonger or to buy our, it sounds terribly middle class, our sourdough loaves from the from the baker that's maybe a mile away as opposed to going to the local supermarket, which we, we didn't do in the past. 
and it meant that we felt that we were contributing to the local you know the local businesses and i think that has certainly been the case over the course of the last year or so we we have noticed certainly when we opened our office in cardiff two or three i'm not going to name them but two or three important welsh businesses contacted us when they saw that we'd opened up in cardiff to say that they were very pleased to see that we were there and uh, a couple of them have asked for our support on something which is really really good so i think there is a sense that clients would prefer to work with partners suppliers businesses that are more local to them and invest in the area and invest in you know other partners and suppliers in that area and i think from a talent point of view you know we we've seen over the course of the last year there are people who've been renting cottages in suffolk or in you know the hope valley or even abroad and have been able to work on client projects without having to be in the office every day now i don't think that's going to last for years to come i think there will be a slightly different you know change to the rhythm of the work i don't think we'll need to be at client sites or in our physical offices five days a week but i i still think that people will want to live up and down the country and will want to be able to work on you know national projects not necessarily having to commute to london or commute to manchester or whatever so so it's going to be you know i i think it is a good thing having i i predict other firms will have uh, regional offices if they haven't already this brings us on to i guess ollie unless there's anything last on re- sort of the recruitment side or, or client side but i think we you know, we've touched on that quite nicely i guess this brings us on to something that i know you you talked about when we were sort of catching up ahead of this call, you mentioned around one of the things you're seeing in the market, you know, alongside that sort of COVID piece of people changing the way they work. It's actually the the, the tenure of consultants is becoming shorter. For the younger sort of generation, the 20s and 30s, you're seeing a lot of people come in, do a few years and leave. I think the me, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I think that is the case. I think the tenure is becoming shorter amongst people who join the consulting world as graduates. And I, I suspect, I mean, this is just based on instinct and what I see elsewhere in our own personal experiences. I suspect the mean age of a, of a consultant is going up, uh, certainly back in the noughties. Uh, you know, the, I, I don't think this is just an urban myth, but the big four firms, I think the, the mean age of a, of a consultant was about 27 years old. But I think that's going up now. I think one of the things I've observed over the course of the last five, six, seven years, really, is that people get to get to sort of 28. So graduates who go into consulting straight from university get to about 28 and they think, right, I've been doing this for four, five, six years. And there's a relentlessness to consulting. It is like an endurance sport. And I think some people love marathons and ultra marathons and triathlons and things, and other people don't. So I think, you know, and I know a lot of your listeners to this podcast to people who are studying at university and are wondering whether consulting is a good thing for them to go into and others are maybe in the early years of consulting and wondering whether it's actually something they want to stay in for a long long time but i, I do want to underline the, the the point and i think most senior partners in consulting firms would agree that you know consulting is is a brilliant career and you can have a lot of fun in it however it is hard and there's a lot of ambiguity and, you know, you work on a project for six months and then you're immediate, you know, you could be doing a project in London and then you might be allocated a project in, you know, Aberdeen for eight months. And after five or six years of doing that, 
I think a lot of people begin to think, well, what do I do now? You know, I don't want to necessarily be on this carousel forever. And I think that's something that certainly the big four firms are really struggling with, with at the moment because we're getting a huge number of applications. We've had 4,000 applications this year already from people wanting to leave bigger consulting firms to go into, uh, not necessarily join Q5, but they're, they're looking around to see what the smaller consulting firm may offer. But I suspect those people, some of those people leaving big consulting firms, looking at small consulting firms, wouldn't enjoy it in small consulting firms either because of the you know, the relentless pressure and the fact that you have to pick up sometimes very, very difficult, in inverted commas, exam questions that need to be delivered you know, at great pace. And it takes resilience. It takes inventiveness. And it takes you know, people with a curiosity and a sense of optimism. Why has that changed? So you mentioned how sort of senior partners would say it's a, a good career to be in and it's an endurance sport. I mean, what what do you see is driving that change in perception in those younger people? Because well, I think do you know what it's a, I wonder if it's a generational thing, Nick. To be honest with you, I mean, I'm I'm 49. I'm a Generation X person. So when we when when I started working back in the sort of early to mid 90s, and we've got a number of people who I've got older people than me in our firm as well. But, you know, we were working largely to baby boomer leaders who uh, led in a very sort of command and control way. And you, you did what you were asked and you were, you know, you did what you were told to do. And I think back in our day, we are not suggesting that, you know, we were better at all. I think we were probably flimsier. We didn't say no to stuff. Whereas I think people today, the Generation Zs who are starting in the workplace now, are much more driven by a sense of purpose and a sense of a fulfillment in what they do every single day to perhaps our generation who you know were were <laughs> probably grateful to have a job so that's one of the things that we've got to understand how can you make your office environment your working environment the content of what you do uh, really appeal to people of all you know working age groups Certainly within our firm, people over the age of 35, I'm not even sure if you're allowed to talk about age, but here I'm telling you what I observe. People over the age of 35 who've worked in other places and have worked in other consulting firms or have worked in industry tend to stick to Q5, you know, for the long haul because they see it as a really, uh, you know, a place where they can bring their true selves to work and have high degrees of autonomy and can, you know, do really interesting work. And we, you know, like lots of other firms, have some amazingly talented people who are younger in their 20s and early 30s who who choose after sort of four or five years to move on. And um, very few of them go to other consulting firms. Most of them want to leave consulting and, and, and go into other things. But you're, Nick, you're a good case in point. So you didn't work at Q5. I know you worked at Beringa, but you probably left around the age that I'm talking about. So I, yeah, I mean, I, I was one of your archetypal when we were talking before two, three years. So I did, I did three years and I, I don't know if I'm typical or atypical, but I, I'm interested, you know, and it, it, it ties a bit to my own story, but I'm, I'm interested what, what you see, Ollie, and almost how, how you're trying to fix it at Q5 or, or how you think others should is I, I do wonder is part of what you're talking about driven by a perceptions issue. And what I mean by that, you know, if I put myself, I was, I was a very different person at 25, but part of what made me leave consulting is the kind of grass is greener, you know, social media show me people of my age with millions of pounds living on a beach. Now, COVID show me I don't want to retire early and go and sit on a beach because I'd be thoroughly bored. But I'd be interested on on that perceptions thing, because 
you know, you talk about the moving into industry and actually nowadays technology and the technology industry obviously has really sort of shot up in terms of cool, in terms of, you know, financial rewards. Actually, does consulting have a bit of a an image problem? And is that something we need to address? Or is that kind of... It's a good point. And uh, I mean, your your business now works in, in marketing, you know, creating the identity for... This is a good advert for your business, Nick, actually, how, to, how you can make... And I didn't even have to pay you for it, Oli. Thank you. Didn't have to pay me for that nice little hook. Look, I think consulting has, has proved over the last 30 years to be a really fantastic place to start one's career. You learn so much I think it's a brilliant, brilliant career for people who leave university not quite sure what they want to do because they get to test themselves out in all sorts of different industry sectors. And if you're bright and quick-witted, I think there is no better place to start your career. I think in terms of re- you know the retention issue, I think it's, up, it's really important for consultant firms to be able to be open to the idea of setting up new businesses. So, you know, it's one of the, one of the reasons why we'll continue to open, Q5 will continue to open other offices because I do think... When you get to you know, 28, 29, you've got five, six years behind you, you might want the opportunity to go and start something from, from scratch. So I'd rather someone was backed by our firm to go and do so within the Q5 world than go off and you know, try something and, and potentially fail. The other thing I think that we've done, and you're coming on to this in a minute with two of my colleagues, Rowena and Annabelle, is this, this thing that we've called pop-up consulting. And uh, over the course of the last year or so, we've worked on over 70 of these assignments for small businesses and not-for-profits. And the trigger for starting that was COVID and lots of small businesses really struggling. But also what we've discovered over the course of the last year or so is that a lot of our younger guns have reveled in coming off the normal day-to-day projects they, they've, they've been working on to go and spend a couple of days working with, you know, pizza pilgrims or the breast cancer now or you know any number we'll of create engage we we'll uh, were one of, of your pop-ups yeah one of what well, yeah you came along as well so it's been really really good and i think people have had a good you know taster of so this has been great for us actually whether that is the uh the silver bullet that that means that people won't get uh, itchy feet uh when they when they get to 2830 is another thing but you know it's important it's it's not it's something that all consulting leaders and i guarantee all people will be thinking about it at the moment you know how can we make this an utterly compelling brilliant place to work and it may be secondments into industry it could be investing in mbas for people who get to that stage it could be all manner of things but uh, it's important my, my advice to anyone who's listening to this podcast at the moment is thinking well, that's me that's that's the issue i've got i'm you know i've done six or seven years is i i would go and have you know some proper wide-ranging discussions with the leaders of your organization to talk about what's in your head what are the kind of things that would aid and abet you in your development? Because it's, you know, sometimes it's quite hard to get inside other people's heads to see what's driving them and what their motivational needs are. I think it's some great advice, Ollie. And, and you know, actually, that point is really powerful. It's something you know, I, I didn't do probably when I chose to leave consulting, but actually, you know, you, you as a senior leader or anyone you know, who's sort of looking after more junior consultants, you can't know what someone is thinking in that respect. And actually, them coming to talk to you is rarely a bad thing. You know, the worst, I guess the worst you can say is, no, that's not quite what we want to do. And then they they move on. I guess interesting looking forward to your point around, well, actually this, you know, this is happening at those lower grades. And there's there's an obvious question of what does that mean longer term? A firm, even if you're not a pyramid, you're 
it you know it's predicated on a model where there are less partners and more people below them actually is this something that is going to require some structural change to the industry if you've got more junior people leaving more early or is it like you say it's it's about balancing the outlets for that creativity alongside the consulting work to you know, help them grow their career and grow the business well it's, again a, a very very good questions these nick anyone would have thought you've planned this <laughs> no actually these are really good questions when I started my career back in the 1990s, I remember that partners at what is now Accenture, that used to be Anderson Consulting when I joined it all those years ago, many of them stopped at 50. And I, I remember a whole coterie, a whole crew of them, many of whom I'm still in touch with, retiring at 50. I am now six months off my 50th birthday, and I have absolutely no intention of stopping what I do. And I think what's changed over the course of the last uh, 15, 20 years or so is there are many people coming into consulting now who are probably better consultants than the ones we had 25 years ago, who've actually done something in industry, who get to their mid-40s and think, do you know what? And we've got a number of them in our own firm here. I would like to actually go and consult now. So one of the things I've noticed over the last three to four years is we have no shortage of people who want to start their consulting careers in their late 40s and many of them in their in their 50s and that is not something i remember it may may have happened i may have been too young and too inexperienced to have noticed it back in the 1990s but i don't recall that being the case i recall it being very much a young person's gig back then so i i don't think there i mean there there are obviously structural changes to that i have said this many times before but not on this podcast i see certainly in my own firm, of being one that's more like a barrister's chambers now, where you've got lots of prodigiously experienced people with some amazing war stories and some exceptional credentials. But it's not, the, it's, it's not like a pyramid. You've got a lot of very, very experienced people who love work, love consulting assignments. And, um, you know, what I was saying earlier on about the, the, the 26 to 32 year olds, that's not the case with people in their 40s and 50s. They, they are you know, they're very, very keen to, to, to spend a long time working on these assignments. They see it as a colorful part of their career. I love the analogy of the, the barrister's chambers. And again, because it's my podcast, working with uh, barrister's chambers, I, I know what you're talking about. And it is a, um, it's an interesting model that, like you say, consulting probably hasn't followed. But I, I suspect actually COVID will help because to your point, if you're 40, 50, you've got a family Maybe you don't want to be up and down the the motorway or to London every week, but if you can balance that with some remote working and you're only in you know in clients one or two days a week, suddenly that actually it probably opens up this career to a lot more people that thought it was closed. I don't know if that's something that you've seen or, or starting to see. Yes, I mean I think it has, and there are people where you have a conversation over lunch or you know you might be having a drink with them and um, you talk about the sort of value that they can give to the to you know different industry sectors, and they you know suddenly realise that it is actually a proper career option for them. So I think I think it's really exciting. I think definitely the sort of demographic mix, the blend, is changing a bit. But um, I see incredibly exciting times for for consulting firms, and our you know I just arithmetically looking at our numbers, we've never been busier. We've never had more clients, you know. And I know it's not all down to numbers. You know, there's much more to business than that. But the, our business is doing very well, and most other smaller consulting firms that I speak to are doing very very well as well. So. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily unique to Q5, but it's a very exciting time to be in consulting. You've got the fallout of, uh, 
you know, Britain's exit, the UK's exit from from the EU, which has, you know, profound ramifications for businesses. And that's going to take a number of years to sort of shake things out. You've got the coming out of, you know, this pandemic locked down world and what implications it has for businesses, hybrid working, you know, just the way business is done going forward. Plus, there have been some structural changes to, you know, many, many organizations and industry sectors. So it's possibly, you know, I've been in this game for 25, 26 years, possibly the most exciting time in my career to be in consulting right now. I think that's the, the quote of the show. And I know we don't do your marketing, but I'll stick that on your, your recruitment marketing right there, Ollie. I think that's the, uh, the soundbite. I want to, because I know we're sort of shortly going to be joined by Annabelle and Rowena and you're know, going to dive into everything about Pop-Up because like, like we said, it's obviously helped a lot of companies. It's helped us. We still use your OEM actively in all of our strategy days. So thank you very much for that. But I'd love to almost get your... You know, your take as the leader of the business before I dive into the detail on on what it is and, and you know who it's helped. And you mentioned that it came out of COVID and that want to give your team, you know, an outlet. I'd I'd love to understand that. Why did you launch it? And I'm jumping a step, but I know that you're going to keep it going as we come out of COVID. Why do you want to do that? So what is it that made you set it up and why has it been such a success that you're actually going to keep doing it and, and make it a core part of the business or or actually spin it out of the business as I understand? So the thing that happened last it was march 2020 i I can't remember the exact date but i think it was around the 13th of march where the prime minister decided that we needed to lock down and it was the first time any of us had ever experienced those kind of you know orders and there's no one we could turn to for advice you know no no you know the, the, the last pandemic that shut things down was in the 1918 to 1920. And I don't know anyone who was around back in those days. All all my relatives are long gone who were around back then. So, you know, one of the things we experienced was was a number of clients. We received six force majeure letters from clients in the late stages of March, early April from organizations that were of the view they had to cancel all contracts. And I don't know about you, but I, in my 26 years of consulting, don't tend to spend much time reading the force majeure conditions in a contract, you know, the, those act of gods that you know will never happen. But they did last year, and I think lots of people would have been in the same boat. And so we, we ended up with about 34, 35 people on the bench, which for an organization of about 150 or so people, that's a significant bench. And we, we anticipated we, we were going to get you know worse than that. And we were having conversations. I spoke to a number of business leaders and a number of consulting leaders to understand what they were you know doing. And it ranged from some that said, well, we're going to you know see how this thing pans out but hold on to our human capital because we've invested in it and we believe in it, to others that said you need to cut deep, cut hard, and cut now. And we have hired a lot of people over the course of the last six, seven months, of which probably about 60% of them were the unfortunate victims of firms that cut deep, cut hard, and cut early. Fortunately, we didn't do that. We did a couple of things. We were thinking, well, if we have 34 people stuck at home. I don't want to be lonely, bored, isolated, and working on thoroughly unsatisfying PowerPoint that's never going to be used. Uh, Is there something we can do with people who are stuck at home who are between consulting assignments 
that would be purposeful and keep them busy and motivated in you know a, a period of time where we were you know struggling with what it all meant we were going through you know each of us individually probably going through existential angst so i spoke to a couple of businesses that i know one one uh, called pizza pilgrims the 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 italian uh, restaurant pizza company um in fact it's not italian it's british but um but brilliant pizza all the same uh, and then i spoke to a chap that runs charlie hr who are well known to the business and we said we want to test something out if we gave two days of consulting support to your businesses and put a couple of our consultants on it and we created a fast-paced format would it help would it work because we don't want to go and start advertising this as a pro bono service if it's you know crap i'm not allowed to know if i'm allowed to say that word whether you have to bleep that's it, bleep absolutely it out. fine don't, don't you worry on it's a it's a grown-up show oh uh, good so we tested it out with those two businesses and the uh, ceos of both came back and said that, that was brilliant i mean it's absolutely fantastic i got a hell of a lot out of that so we thought okay well let's let's go and start advertising the fact that we're willing to do this and um so we set up pop-up consulting and it's been it's, it's a very much a big part of not our business because obviously it's pro bono but it's a big part of q5 is a very important part of q5 and it's something that we're beginning to set we're actually going to set it up as a clg so a company limited by guarantee which is like like a charity and uh, we believe in it we've been doing them all over the world actually so the majority of them have been done in the uk but we've done a number of them in australia we've done a few in africa we've done one or two in new york and it's been brilliant. It's been an absolutely fantastic thing to be part of. And I'm incredibly proud of everyone that's thrown themselves into it. And very, very proud of Rowena and Annabelle, who have been involved in it very early on. Annabelle's been really key part of it right from the very beginning. And Rowena now actually runs it as part of our business. So it's been amazing. It's been really good. Well, Ollie, I think that's probably a good place for us to end and only because I'm about to be joined by Annabelle and Rowena and I don't want to steal their thunder and ask you all of the questions about actually how you run these, how it's been, how the journey has gone. Obviously, it's been very successful and um, I know you've won a number of awards and spinning it out into a CLG it shows you, you're still going to keep it going committed to it. I think it's keen to dig into the the detail with them. So, Ollie, thank you very much for this. It's been great to to catch up and yeah, talk about, I think, some really important topics and actually things that are only going to get more important. So thank you very much. I'll, I'll let you get off and enjoy your day. And uh, I'll look forward to speaking to Annabelle and Rowena all about it. Thanks very much, Nick. It's lovely to talk to you and good luck. Cheers, Ali. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Climbing Consulting. If you have any guest recommendations, comments, ideas, thoughts on how I can make this show better for you, just drop me an email. It's Nick at createengage.co.uk and I really look forward to hearing from you.